In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unbelievable, and all that other stuff, the mystical, the magical, the macabre. New England's own Van Helsink would be all the way across the pond is the rock star parapsychologist himself, Mr. Cal Cooper. Hello, Ron. How you doing, buddy? Good. Did you get any more telephone calls from his dead? Uh, nothing as yet. I I have walked past a few old telephones recently going about my business and expected one or two to ring, but they didn't. Never mind. <laughs> Has there been any really experiments on that? On testing whether it could happen? Well, the, the only thing that I've come across, um, which is mentioned in my book, is um, an ITC researcher called Paolo Prezzi. Um, what he did was he took um, EVPs of, uh, of people that were confirmed dead, and he also took similar recordings of their voices when they were alive. And there was a few telephonic voices, such as Constantine Radover, who was a famous EVP researcher who mm-hmm. produced the book Brain. Hello? 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 Ron? Hello, okay. Ron? I guess, guess we're back. Okay, you're back. <laughs> yeah, um, they took recordings of Constantine Radover after he died, because he supposedly rang a few people after he died, and they took the recordings of his voice from before he died and actually compared them to see if there were any similarities in the voices. And when you hear these telephone calls from Constantine when he was um, dead, they're remarkable. They do sound a lot like him, but when they were tested in the lab and they tested um, whether the um, voice patterns... Okay, anyways, that was Cal Cooper, and I think we're going to get him back in a minute. We better get him back in a minute, because I'll end up talking to myself, and that's pretty freaking no. boring. <laughs> no, I'm here. Oh, wait a minute. We have someone else. We have another live per- Well, I don't know if it's a live person, <laughs> because this is electronic, so it could be someone who's alive or dead. Uh, let me guess. I'm you putting on my psychic hat. Could you, by any chance, be Ann Davies? That's right, Ron. Oh, and very Davis. nice to meet you. Hiya. It's nice to be with you tonight. Now, Anne, you are a, uh, well, there's a whole list of what you do, but uh, I guess your your greatest claim to fame, at least in my book, is spirit artist. That's right. Yes. 
do you have a website that, uh, before I forget to give it out, which I always do? <laughs> it's andavis-artofspirit.co.uk. Yeah, because you can't spell .com. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and Cal's back, I hear. He is. Yeah. I can hear him. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what happened there. No idea. Yeah, must be paranormal. That's what we always yeah, say. Gets us off the hook for everything. Hey, so anyways, what I was saying and you were saying is basically you compared the voices, yada, yada, and they sounded like the guy, but but there was a but, and we didn't get after the but. Yeah, you can do that with the voicemail messages and the EVPs, but there's no way of testing a live phone call from the dead the same way you can't test someone's experience of a ghost. It's there one minute and gone the next, and all that's left is the account of it. You know, um, you're a lucky person if you know where to be at such and such a time to actually test a live phone call from the dead or test a ghost as soon as it appears and disappears. You, it's just that old waiting game sometimes. Yeah, well, that's like everything else, like private investigating. Everything is waiting, and, and basically we are investigators. I know you are a researcher, but I am an investigator. And so an experiment, and I may just do this next time, is to take a telephone and um, just bring it to a haunted location, put a camera on it, and uh, see what happens. Well, I've never thought of that before, but yeah, um, that's certainly an idea if you're hoping for the bell to ring or if someone picks it up and hears anything unusual down the phone line. That'd certainly be an interesting experiment to try. There's a few cases where telephones were used just as um, a theatre trick. They were taken and manipulated so that when they were handed out to the audience, the audience would pick it up and think they were speaking to their dead relatives. And it was actually stagehands backstage that were pretending to be their relatives using cold readings and so on. But there was one particular guy in one case who was so convinced that he'd spoken to his wife, he approached them and said, could I have a private sitting with the telephone? They said, yeah, sure. So they put on the whole act, and he went away happy. And then a few days later, he came back banging on the stage door, demanding that he got a, another room sitting with his telephone. And um, the main performer who kind of did this whole trick said, yeah, sure, come on in. And he wasn't sure if the stagehands were actually backstage or not to operate the telephone, so he put it there and thought, you know what, if it works great, there's a stagehand to actually pretend to be his dead wife. If there's no one there, I'll just say that the conditions aren't right for the spirits to get in contact. And there goes Cal again. So, anyways, looks like the spirits don't want him to talk about it. So let's talk to Anne. Maybe we should talk Hi. to you anyways. We'll just get rid of him. Okay. So, so Anne, if, um, if he comes you, back again, we can. <laughs> So, anyways, I guess the uh, according to Carrie, uh, our producer, the internet is having misbehaving. So, hopefully, we don't lose you. But, anyways, um, you are a spiritist, among other things, correct? Yes. And uh, how did you realize that you had the ability to be a spiritist? Well, Ron. Um I don't. I can't really answer that question because I was very, very young, and I can't really remember uh, how old I was when I first saw my first spirit. But the main thing is that I always knew I was an artist, and when I was in my mid twenties, thirties, I realised I could put what I see together with what yeah. I can what I can draw. So, after putting them together and people saying, oh, that looks like my grandfather, that looks like my 
whatever, uh, or whoever. Um, that's how I realized that I was drawing people in the spirit world. Because as a child, you don't know, or I didn't know these people were dead people. They just appeared and disappeared. I didn't have the, the knowledge, the information regarding mediumship that a lot of people do have. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that I, I know that a lot of mediums will deal with the dead, and the spirit will show themselves as they want to be seen, or, or how they uh, the, the medium sees or might see them in a different way. I mean, yeah. do they show themselves to you in, in different manners, or is it always, uh, I mean, when do, how do they show them? I mean... Do, okay. Do well, I, I, I uh, drew some portraits um, when I was in New York, and uh, I was just drawing a portrait of a gentleman that I could uh, see in my mind's eye. And I began drawing him, and there was a very lovely lady um, who I'd never met before. And uh, as I was drawing him, she said, I know who that is. And I said, well, my impression of the gentleman, the impression I was getting was uh, clairsentient rather than clairvoyant, um, is that he's your teacher. And he used to teach you English or drama. And she said, that's exactly right. And I said, and I believe from what the, the, the impressions I'm getting from him, that you are now in um, doing something in drama or in theatre. And she said, yes, I work on Broadway. So first of all, I, I need somebody, in a sense, when I'm drawing the portrait, I need somebody to draw for, if, if you can see what I'm saying here. And um, so the, the person's there in a private reading. I get impressions about them. Then I draw a portrait and then they tell me whether they recognize it or not. Okay, so that's how you do it. You draw it, and uh, so are there times when the spirit you draw? Because I'm assuming it's the spirit, always the spirit you're drawing, right? And you know, the no, no, no. Well, it is. Yes, it is always a spirit because the spirit is in existence while we are alive as well. But predominantly, the drawings I do are of the spirits of the deceased. Oh, However, okay. I. I have drawn portraits of people who are very poorly, um, who are on their deathbed. Um, so that is, I believe that's when their spirit is moving, is uh, ready to depart. Okay. Uh, let me get to ref for a second. And that you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. If you have a question, our, our special guest is Ann Davies. She's a spirit artist, and uh, hopefully we're going to get Cal Cooper back here shortly. But... I should be back by now, aren't I? Uh, Cal, is that you? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> wow. I think so, there's, um, there's definitely ghosts in the machine. I haven't gone offline at all. I've heard the entire radio show, so something weird's going on. Um Anna, I was reading in your book, Portraits from Spirit, that you were even drawing some of these spirits when you were at school or college in your art classes. So could you tell us more about that? Yes, I, um, I'm from Liverpool and uh, born and bred in Liverpool. And I was alive during the Beatles when they were playing in the cavern. And um, I, I was a head of art in a, a local school in Liverpool. And um, 
as the the children, uh, as I was teaching the children how to draw portraits, um, I realised that some of the portraits were of their family and, and friends in the spirit world. And um, it was quite a shock to me that when one of the pupils said, oh, that portrait looks like my my grandfather. But um, yes, and that sort of plagued me through my life, especially in the school when the children were doing exams and I could see uh, spirit people with them, helping them in their exams. I did notice some of those pictures in in the middle of the book. Would would that be the German grandfather? Because in the middle of your book here, you have the sketch that you do of the spirit person, and then you've got the actual photograph of that person to actually Compare yeah, that, where the drawing first, and then the person's noticed and the similarity. Yeah, that, the that, yeah, that portrait was drawn uh, during a visit to just outside Frankfurt in a small village called Darmstadt. And I don't speak German, but I had a translator. And as I drew the portrait of the gentleman that is that's in the book. Um, a lady gasped, and she said, um, that's, the, uh, that's uh, again in German, <laughs> which I don't speak, but she said it was her grandfather, but she didn't have a photograph. So a few weeks later, she sent me a, his passport photograph. And I think because you've got the book there, you would know whether the photograph and the portrait look alike. Oh, yeah, they certainly do, because this guy's got a, a very distinct moustache and um, looking off to the left as well, and high cheekbones and really is cool especially also um the little girl holly which i remember you presented a talk on that particular piece of the ex uh, sorry exploring the extraordinary conference in york as well That's um right. i thought that was an interesting one could you tell us some of the history behind the sketch of the little girl holly as well uh, that was I, I did that in um, the midlands in england and uh i was um i drew the the girl, the portrait, in about three minutes, very, very quickly. But as I was drawing her, I could sense that the, the child was very, very hot before she passed, and I could smell the hospital, that sort of distinct smell that we get in British hospitals. And um, I, I just felt very hot. And then as I was drawing, I said three names, Holly, Dolly, and Molly. I wasn't sure which name it was. And uh, the grandmother was in the audience, and she, again, she, she stood up, and she said, I've got a photograph of my granddaughter Holly here. In uh, in my mo- on my mobile, so we could we could um, recognise whether the portrait was correct or not, uh, uh, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah, and you've got very distinct features here. I mean, the comparing the photograph to the sketch, both these um, little girls have got a band in their hair that contains flowers, which is um, in both the portrait and the photograph very distinct shaped nose, you've got um, fringe as well and the shape of the eyes and particularly the, the roundness of the face and also, um, yeah, the, just the way her hair's done as well, which is quite remarkable. Yeah. Now, I remember on that uh, occasion, um, I drew automatically. My hand um, was spinning around the paper. I work in pastel on an A1 size paper and I remember choosing the colours in a semi-trance, um, not full trance because obviously I was talking as well. But my hand was was almost taken over while the drawing was being done. And I've realised that um, when I work semi-automatically, um, semi, in a semi-trance, then the drawings tend to be more accurate. And I put that down 
to there being a spirit artist working with me and the mm. spirit artist helping me draw the portrait through the part of my brain, triggering the part of my brain which operates my right hand. Obviously, it can't be Leonardo da Vinci because he was left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've discussed that with you before and also um, Brian Shepard when I've been on investigations with him and actually stood and watched him draw and I took him to one side and said, OK, what is it that actually helps you draw do you actually for a moment just sit down in the location and do some breathing techniques and meditate because it seems like some sort of altered state of consciousness where you just get into the zone of drawing and and focusing yeah yes it is but my husband always says that i'm always in a semi semi trance (laughs) but uh, coming from liverpool you know you 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 can't get that way i um, and and women before let me interrupt on on that question is that so you aren't really seeing this person. You are more trancing the person than. That's right. In in those on those occasions, that's correct. When I'm in a private reading situation, a one-to-one situation, as I was in New York and in Pennsylvania and New Jersey when I was working in America, um, those uh, those times in a one-to-one situation, I've got more time to go into a a sort of slight meditative state and ask the spirit world to show themselves to me. Whereas if I'm demonstrating on a platform, um, it's almost performance art where I'm drawing very quickly and giving evidence, then I allow um, myself to be taken over slightly. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, Actually... Uh, I'm trying to figure how that. So, so there are times when you physically see the spirit in your mind's eye, and there are other times when you go into a trance, and it's done automatically. Is, yeah. is that correct? Uh, that's right. But and when I teach spirit art, I do uh, lots of workshops in, well, all over the world. Um, when I teach spirit art, I say to people that they will work as naturally as they are. So if they're naturally a visual person, they remember things visually, then they will draw from seeing. If they remember things, uh, sort of words, if they remember things auditory, then they will hear descriptions of the person, for example. They will hear the description of um, a man with red hair and a beard, and they will draw them. But there are the other people who are very sentient they are kinesthetic and they sense the spirit they sense the red beard they sense the hair they sense whether a person hasn't got hair the size of the face uh, the type of clothing they're wearing the color of their skin they sense these things which seems extraordinary to us because uh, uh, many of us don't realize that we're, we are being bombarded with sensations all the time but because we're used to it we we take no notice of it but when we're working close sentiently every drop of impression can be drawn well i've seen that before i can only kind of the only other psychic artist or spirit artist that i've worked with is is brian i thought it was i'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying one time um when we're at uh 
it's totally forgot I've totally forgotten where we were. But anyway, we we're in a haunted location and he went off to do some drawing. And um I, I'd spent some time with some guests that were going around the location, and then I thought I'd sneak off to go and see Brian. And I, I just kind of crept up to where he was and just watched for a moment from behind. He didn't know I was there and I was some distance away. But he got the sketch pad in his arms and he kept looking up to something staring for a bit and then looking down and doing the fine detail, the buttons on the jacket, the pockets, the particular tie and pattern, the facial features. And it was really good. I mean, when I stepped on the gravel and he knew I was approaching him, he, he, he jumped a bit he, all of a sudden to know there was someone in the same area. But he was concentrating so much while he was on his own and he knew he was on his own at the time. So I was very impressed with that. It's an interesting thing. I have been totally fascinated by uh, spirit eyes because I think that's, you know, one step. And we can all have a medium tell us, you know, this person, what he looks like, and they they kind of describe it. And if it's any any relationship to anyone you're, new, you're looking for, then you kind of make that jump to it. It's like an EVP who says, this says, uh, get out of here, and you listen to it. Your brain is looking for get out of here. Whereas if you have uh, an artist who actually draws something without really suggesting anything, then I find that uh, a little more valuable. I, I rem going back into that, because that's a really good uh, uh, question you've asked there, or, or something I'd like to answer. Um, I, a lady contacted me from Dubai who I didn't know, so it was a, a postal reading. Um, I, I only had a letter. I, I couldn't even see what she looked like because I felt that you were trying to suggest that if somebody's in front of you, you could be drawing from their genetics. You could copy maybe the nose or the shape of the eyes, the colour of the eyes. Right. But this, but the lady in, in Dubai, I've also done this in Australia. I drew a portrait of a young boy and um, I uh, was talking into a dictaphone, so... Um, she had a reading with it and it's almost as though I'm talking to myself but I'm actually I feel as though I'm talking to the person who's asked for the for the reading and uh, when she got the reading she immediately sent me an email to say that it affected her so much that she cried because I'd drawn a portrait of her deceased son and that her son passed to spirit uh, five years previously and that she couldn't believe. It, it gave her the um, impetus for for utter belief that um, the spirit world exists. Because I'd never met her. She'd never met me. Uh, I've never been to Dubai. So, uh, to me, that that's why I do it. I, I tend to draw portraits for evidence, uh, for spiritual evidence, rather than... Um, portraits of guides. I do do portraits of guides, but my main work, I feel, is uh, the evidence that the spirit survives death. Okay. You've got you know, I'm very I, quiet. <laughs> Cal's, well, we don't know if he's there or not. That's why we have to poke him with a stick or something to see if he's there. Yeah, I felt it. No, he's here. I can hear him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, when Brian uh, Shepard was on the uh, show a while back, um, I talked to him about this, and, and this is one thing, an experiment I would love to do, and especially where you guys are in the U.K., is to go to a location and 
I'm not sure exactly what you would need, but I mean, we certainly can do it via webcam or, or if you don't need that, just to be in a location and, uh, and actually see if you can pick up on a spirit there and draw it. So you would, you know, I mean, we're talking about a great deal of distance. We're talking about, um, a location you would know nothing about. So it would be interesting if you could draw a spirit and that spirit did show up somewhere in the history of this place. Uh, just because you drew a spirit and didn't show up, by the way, does not mean that you were wrong or anything. It's just that I... it's the spirit that was there, and it, we just can't find out who he is. Uh, so, I mean, I, I know that so many times from investigations that we do have spirits that come and they have nothing to do with what we are or anything, uh, where we are or who we are, but uh, they just show up. So, um, Well, you know, that, that... that is... That is very possible. That's, um, that, uh, that is something that I'd like to do for you. You would? I've done something similar to a historian who lives in the south of England who mm -hmm. writes history books. And um, where there are no portraits of the, his, uh, the people in history she's writing about, I draw them. But she also gets somebody else to draw them as well. And she says that similarities are incredible, so she knows that um, the, the, the detail um, is accurate from having two portraits done by two artists. Yeah, that makes sense. That's like you would have two psychics and they would both come up with the same thing. It would be interesting. But once again, I always give that that uh, thing that just because two psychics go into a mediums go into a location and they see two different spirits doesn't mean one is necessarily right or wrong. It's just That's what right. they are particularly seeing because there's there's so many rules in the spirit world that we do not know about. I mean, what what laws of uh, physics and nature apply there, uh, you know, may be totally different from our own world, our own realm. Are you, are you in uh, New England at the moment, Ron? I am in New England at the moment. Um, because um, uh, I've been to a, place, a small place called Bow, near Concord. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll teach you. We'll teach you English how to speak. One of these <laughs> well, I said conquered. Okay, didn't I? Yeah, I, I used to say I used to work over there, but um, the um, there is a place called Salem, isn't there? Or Salem in New England yeah, near Boston. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. have you been there? Of course. Uh, Salem is where the witch trials were, and uh, we have a, a presence in Salem. We do. We are part of the Festival of Dead, which occurs every uh, Halloween in Salem in, in October, and we do some events there called Spectral Evidence. Because uh, um, while I was in Bow, um, mm -hmm. I was I picked up um, an impression of uh, somebody from Salem, and uh, although I'd heard of the witchcraft trials. This is, I'm going back quite a while now. Um, I, I hadn't realized how um, devastating it, it was for the people around there at the time. But I, I did pick up a portrait then. Anyway, this is your show. No, no, that's cool. It's, it's actually, we're coming up on break anyway, so uh, okay. we're going to have to take the break. So if you'll hold on, we'll get back and uh, 
we actually have a couple of questions that we have to have answered too. So from the chat room, so we'll have to take care of that. But anyways, uh, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the rock star of the paranormal psychologist, Mr. Cal Cooper, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick. And we'll be on Tojinet, Pararex Ghost Channel Beyond. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Bear Eggs family. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so, yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except- so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick. And our very special guest is Ann Davies, spirit artist, here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So anyways, we have a couple of questions I'd like to get answered. Uh, The first one actually was for Cal. And uh, I guess this is just before you had uh, got cut off. You were talking about... um, uh, some EVPs that were matched to Rayo, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Konstantin Randovich, yeah. Yeah, and they wanted to know uh, when they checked the voice patterns, did they match? Um, no, they didn't. The Radova ones, out of everything they tested, including just general EVPs, the Radova ones were to just listen to, they were the most spectacular, impressive. But when tested objectively through the. <coughs> Um, audio comparisons and checking the, the voice similarities, they didn't match. So this was the problem. Um, but okay. it was one way to kind of test telephone calls from the dead in the lab. And it's the only one I really know of that's been done. You know, I I was told this story and I have no idea of the truth or anything, but it's spo- supposedly uh, it was a university in uh, Stockholm I believe it was, and they they created this uh, 
chamber that was, uh, you know, soundproof and all, you know, pretty much um, uh, isolated. And they put a recorder in, and they got voices on it. And it came in as a foreign language, and supposedly they didn't know what it was. They took it to the language department, and it came in as German. And then they did further research and uh, compared it to different voices, and supposedly it came in as Hitler's voice. Did you ever hear that one? (laughs) No, I've never heard of that one. No, I have a pretty good, reliable source, which is interesting. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll have to see if I can dig up some more information on that. But uh, that's supposedly, uh, when I first started uh, investigating, uh, I heard that, uh, like I said, from a pretty reliable source, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so, you listen anyway. to me. The, the Radova one was um, so unique for people because he was uh, one of the most famous EVP researchers. And after right, he died, right. he suddenly came back telephoning people, supposedly. He spoke to people in France, Germany, and the USA. So okay. that was weird. Yeah, you, so, know, you, know, it's, you know, what's interesting, though, is, is would you really have a voice match? Because if, if you listen to the definition of EVP, it's when a spirit takes the white noise and recorder and manifests a voice on it. Well, it doesn't have a, a uh, voice box, so it's not like an actual voice. It's, it's exactly. more of a manifestation. That's, that's a little theory I kind of dabbled with in my book, so I haven't let that go to waste. That theory is there because it's not actually being produced from a physical voice box. The biological system's gone, it's died. So if the dead do survive, they're somehow having to manipulate electrons in the air or produce this paraphysical voice out of nowhere that sounds familiar, so we recognize it, but it's not coming from a physical source anymore. So that's one theory to dabble with. So I have mentioned that. Read the book. <laughs> I will, if it ever comes out. It'll be out, it'll be out soon. I'm just waiting yeah. on some people for Chapter 10, but that's it. You know what, I've when, you come, when you come over here, make sure you bring it. That's all I can say. I will do. It'll be sent by Carrier Pigeon. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'll give you one of Richard Felix's books. Oh, that'll yeah. be a nice trade. Yeah, I'll do that. I, I know we have Ian on the line, and I, I didn't want to uh, uh, keep her waiting, but we also have a uh, question for her as well. And, uh, oh, of course, I brought up that experiment. Somebody wants to say, can you describe what you see for us now? See us from us where, though? I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. I didn't quite, I think, didn't quite get that question, Ron. Yeah, are you still here? Ah, yeah, yep. Uh, describing what I see now. Yeah, but the, the question is, seeing now, but what are you seeing and where are you seeing it? You know what I'm saying? Um, is that with my eyes open or with my eyes closed? I haven't a clue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, go ahead. I'm, I'm not sure of the question. Are they asking I, me to um, go into I, some sort of psychic mode? Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do, is they're trying to do a, uh, a, a an experiment. But you know what? We will do that, and I want to do it under more controlled conditions. I just don't want to do it over the air right now. So um, if you don't mind, I, I think we'll we'll skip on that. Sorry, Spookalooza, but uh, at this time, you're not seeing any spirits well, it, right now. It would actually be quite difficult, because um, if I started to tune in, I'd be tuning in on you. But uh-huh. you... You've asked me a question by somebody else. So right. there could be confused why 
is there? Um, I'd start to perhaps pick up on your, you've got a very strong energy. You've got, um, your aura is very expansive. You, you know how to work with it. Whereas the, the other person who asked the question, um, the, the, the two energies are totally different. So that would be Oh, I see, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, did you, oh, speaking about that in, in Aurora's, did, did you ever do that, uh, and Cal, you might know about this, I forget what the name of it is, they, they have this machine where they connect you to, and it supposedly draws your Aurora's, Aurora's or whatever it is. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, is it a PIP, Pol- uh, Poly Contrast Interference Photography? Software mm-hmm. by Harry Oldfield. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's, it's, this is actually a software machine, and it, it what it does is it draws, it gives you a color printout of your yes, um, yes. I actually had that done uh, about a month or so ago, and um, it, it showed that I had I was had psychic ability, which was quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but the polycontrast interference was close, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the polycontrast interference photography the PIP right. uh, Harry uh, Harry Enfield designed it and um I've I've been wired up to the software to that when uh the video has been um being uh on me and as I've been drawing my aura has been completely changing it isn't like the the old, the old um, Pelian type auric photography. It's um, the the energies. It, it takes photographs of the energies, your brain waves as you're working. So as an artist, as my brain tries to work out what I'm seeing, as the the rods and the cones and the neurons are affected in the brain, it was uh, the aura is moving. But that's the PIP. But the other one you mentioned, um, yes, it. it showed some quite interesting effects as well. Really? You can't yeah. discuss it? Or... Hello? Hello? Okay. Sorry. Did, that's okay. Did you, would you care to discuss it? I mean, what interesting... The the uh, the computer. What, what I had to do was I had to put my uh, Cal would know what this is because he's more scientific than I am. But I had uh-huh. to put my hand onto a metal plate. Yeah. And from the metal plate, um, energies were uh, passed through into the software, into the com- computer, and then it was shown up on a computer uh, onto a screen because there was an audience uh, at, at this particular event. And um, the, the particular colours that were showing related to uh, neural activity. And the particular colours showed that... I can't actually remember the colours, but the particular right. colours showed the, um, uh, the, my psychic ability. It also differentiated between mental mediumship and physical mediumship. Um, the the difference in the tone of the colour and the texture of the colour showed that the differences in the mental and the physical medium. Okay, evidently we lost Cal again. So must be that great internet there over at the UK. Well, it's very very cold. Well, it's colder than it usually is here, and I think sometimes Skype doesn't work so well when it's cold. Really? really? It doesn't. I know it doesn't get as cold as New Hampshire. <laughs> 
Actually, it was it was uh, really freezing. It's really funny because uh, for the past three investigations, uh, we did this uh, one place that was absolutely reason there was no heat in the place while well, one room had heat uh, it was 23 rooms and I actually spent overnight there I slept there as well and, and it was so cold and I hate the cold. cold and then we did a, a jail in Boston which was being uh, destroyed and there was no heat there and then we did this this uh, lovely place up in uh, New Hampshire and the heat was very poor there so it's like oh my god and so I had an investigation yeah. on Saturday and I said oh my god please have heat well, <laughs> you, know, you know sometimes the spirit world can bring warm energy as well so um, I've, I've known that um, when I've been working to be 70-80 degrees rather than zero degrees um, right. yeah. yeah you Hi, know what Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. After you. <laughs> it's interesting. A lot of times we go on investigations. Uh, we do uh, the remote thermometers will, will pop in at 666 when there's, like, activity on and going stuff. And it's like, ooh, is that the devil? Well, probably not. But uh, it, it could be actually a spirit uh trying to intimidate us or whatever as well. Uh, but it, it's interesting uh, that that number does show up. Of course, then, you know, 66 degrees is not that bad either as the temperature. <laughs> so, anyways, Cal's back, I hear. Yeah, yeah. No, don't you just hate the internet at times? <laughs> it, it's crazy. Again, I could hear you guys. I, I just, you couldn't hear me. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm back. Cool. And uh, you've got a book out. You've got DVDs out. You've got CDs out. Tell us more and where can we get hold of these as well? Good question. Oh, well, the, uh, the book, it, you can get it from me, the book. <laughs> or if you're in America, uh, because it's self-published, if it's in America, um, it's published by Author House, Illinois. Okay. Um, but if if you're in the UK, get it from me through the my website or my email address, and Davis twenty ten, and Davis twenty ten at aol dot com, and without an e, Davis with an e. Um, but I'd also uh, thank you very much for that, Cal. Um, but I'm also writing a thesis. This is how I know Cal. I'm also writing a PhD thesis on spirit art. Yep. And um, I'm beginning to understand more about what I do. Um, and uh, two years ago, I visited Lilydale in New York State. Oh, yeah. Do you know Lilydale, Ron? Yes, you do. That's, that was the, uh, well, the capital of the spiritualist muses, movement is a good way of saying it. That's where that's, the, uh, the sisters started this whole thing with the rap tap tapping and the that's cobbler right. and all that stuff, yeah. Well, I, I had the, the wonderful opportunity of meeting Dr. Lauren Thibodeau, who invited me over there from England. Uh, from, she, she now lives up in New York City. New York State. But um, I went there to see the Bang Sisters paintings, mm -hmm. um, the precipitated paintings, which are unique other, um, outside that particular area. They lived in um, Ohio. Uh, no, they lived in Chicago. Is Chicago in Ohio? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, yeah, Maybe. Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> Illinois. Uh, um, they lived in Chicago, and the only precipitated paintings in the world were produced in Chicago and Lilydale. So, the only what? Um, Excuse me, the only what? They're called precipitated paintings. Paintings which are produced 
by the spirit world moving dust and pastel onto a canvas in broad okay, daylight. So these these paintings were not touched by a human hand. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so they not by human human hand, but by uh, spirit and human energy, by the two sisters May and Lizzie Bangs, and also by the Campbell brothers. All right, I'm going to have to look into more of this because this sounds interesting. Oh, this is very interesting. And they are so rare. If anybody's got one in their attic or their loft, whatever you call it, um, then they are unique. Um, ab absolutely. I'd say there's only about 20, between 20 and 30 of them left in the world. They were produced between 18... 1890 and uh, 1920 in the uh, that particular area in New York. Hmm. So, so these are being produced by a physical person that's holding the. They, the, the, two, the two sisters hold the canvas between them. Yeah. And dust um, is attracted to the board, and uh -huh. um, it, it is said from my research, um, I've, I've found that it was reported that. The uh, the picture, the portrait, um, emerges like a photograph. But these portraits are so exquisitely produced. As an artist, I couldn't do a pastel portrait as exquisitely as these portraits are done. So, Ron, you'll have to have a look into it. Oh, I will. I definitely will. They but are I'm absolutely beautiful. You know, when I started this journey, that was, I mean, I didn't want to believe in a lot of things, but, uh, you know, my mind is open to try to understand all that is. And uh, there's so much out there to look at and uh, try to understand. And, of course, we can't understand half of it. So. <laughs> I'm waiting for Cal to uh, wire me up to the brain scan while I'm drawing. <laughs> a bit of EEG experiment. <laughs> yeah. It's been no. proved I've got a brain, but um, by, by having a scan. But I'm waiting for somebody to invite me to be wired up while I'm drawing to see what happens. Oh, we can do that. Uh -huh. Oh, great. Uh, by the way, uh, we do it. Well, let me tell you one quick question. I had this bright idea when I worked with Maureen, who was a trans medium. Uh, I decided to, that I wanted to take some measurements and everything while she was doing this, and I put a digital uh, blood pressure cusp on her and everything else. Of course, it was digital, and uh, the spirits can sometimes uh, follow up digital, let's put it that way, and I almost took her arm off with it, so uh, that didn't work out so good. So might, you might want to rethink having me do it. <laughs> uh, but we have a question from the chat room, and uh, how long did they have to hold on to the canvas before the image uh, appeared on it, or was or the canvas, was the painting was completed? Well, in um, Admiral Osborne Moore's book, Images from the Next State, or Glimpses from the Next State, sorry, 1911 that was written, mm -hmm. um, he said that the portrait of his cousin Iola was produced in between 20 and 30 minutes. Oh, really? Uh, so if you, if you visualize all the dust from your house, all the fragments of skin, the bits of dust of the cat or the dog, the hair, uh, fabrics from the carpet, minute fabrics being sucked onto 
almost like spray painting sucked onto a canvas. Right. Uh, that's how it was said that these precipitated paintings were produced. And was this done I, in front of numerous I, witnesses? Yeah, um, I I find that really, really exciting because at the time, of course, there the, the weren't the scientists who were interested in, in the paintings. Um, but I find that really exciting that two, two mediums could do that. Of course, there were the sceptics, as we get uh, in any age, in any era. Um, but the paintings themselves stand up as works of art on their own. I wonder if they've ever analyzed the painting himself. In other words, you just said that they were created by dust and stuff. I wonder if they actually yeah. did well, a... In, in 1940, I think in 1941, um, the, a bit of the dust, a scraping of the dust was sent to Kodak. Um, there's another name attached to that, uh, something Kodak. In okay. Eastman Kodak. That's right, Eastman Kodak. Again, yep. near Hydesville um, and near Lilydale up in uh, northern New York State. And um, the report was inconclusive, but also the report since then has disappeared. So that's a bit worrying. It's a bit troubling um, that that should happen. But when Ron Nagy uh, took the back, he's a curator at Lilydale's museum, when he took the back off the painting... Um, and the, the uh, pastel paintings usually leave a bit of dis deposit on the glass because of, um, oh, uh, well, in, in my experience, I, they, pastel drawings always uh, leave just a little bit of a deposit, but there was no deposit on the glass. Um, and when he touched the, the picture itself, he found that it was still sticky. Hmm. Uh, which is unusual after a hundred, nearly 100 years. It's still sticky. But when I viewed the paintings, and each one was the same, th there is a saying that they, the dust looks like the dust on a butterfly's wing. And it does. It's absolutely perfect. There, is, there are no handprints, no marks that um, a human has, uh, has orchestrated the... Um, the, the portrait. So as an artist, um, I'm getting really excited about this now. <laughs> as you should be. I, I find it inter quite interesting. Uh, I'm afraid I'd never heard anything of it before. But uh... in, in, my, in the research I'm doing, I found that there are three, three distinct types of uh, psychic spirit art. The one is the precipitated, and then there, there are the automotive artists, the automatic right. trance artists, who influence the um, surrealists, Andre Breton, etc., the surrealists. And then we've, we've got the artist today um, who began working maybe in the 1970s to, to, to today. And they work in a very different way. They work either with the energies by drawing the energies that are existing around us or around people, or the spirit artists who are purely evidential. They work towards evidence, evidencing um, the spirit world. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to look into this more. So, um, when did uh, you, uh, you, can have a, you can have a, a copy of my book as 
as well, if you want. Sweet. There you go, Ron. Yeah. That means, <laughs> there I'll, have There's to, a little that, that means I'll have to give you a copy of mine. Oh, rats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of people might not know this, but um, Anne is also from a, a background in psychology as well. So, Han, how, how do you kind of make sense of this combination between seeing spirits and drawing them and also coming from a background in psychology? Has uh, Cal's gone again? Um, no, my, my background is in educational psychology, but um, in writing my thesis, I am looking into neuroscience and um, parapsychology uh, because I feel that it's, it, it's very valuable to get both sides of the coin. And um, as I'm researching, I'm, I am learning a great deal about uh, the science of the techniques. Um, but it's, uh, it's a lovely journey to do. And, and to be part of it in this day and age. So you, you teach other people um, these techniques, and that's one of your DVDs as well, opening up people to this kind of uh, psychic world and developing spirit art and being able to do it. So from the viewpoint of a psychologist, would you say this is more about getting into meditative states and opening up your awareness to kind of this... A supposed unseen world to be able to kind of just let your feelings flow and draw your thoughts and impressions rather than teaching them to draw material objects or, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a really good observa observation, um, Cal, because um, I, I do teach in that way. But uh, primarily, um, if people are already mediums, they need to learn how to draw. So yeah. it's, the, it's the drawing of the portrait and how the, the techniques, the art techniques, which seem to be more important to mediums. But I found that there are some people who say that they just cannot draw at all. That's and when me. they first, when they first, like you, I can teach you how to draw. When they first start, we, they, just <laughs> they just draw an egg. And then within a couple of uh, sessions, they're drawing portraits and they're drawing recognisable portraits. But one thing that really interests me is that often the portrait will look like um, a pre-mortem photograph of the deceased person. So there is another layer going on here as well. Is it that the spirit world is now draw wanting images which can be evidenced and so we also require the pre-mortem photograph and huh. in quite a in quite a lot of my work my own drawings i'm finding that the drawing is very like the photograph now of course a psychologist would say well that could be esp somebody is sending a visual um thought pattern to right. you yeah? yeah. So, uh, yeah, which uh, is okay. To me, that's okay because it's all part of the, uh, the journey and the process. Well, that's is, the is thing that, is anyone, oh, sorry, Ron, go ahead. No, go ahead. Has anyone then ever like, come along to the class as being quite sceptical and also given that other side that a psychologist might say that, well, you know, I've done this drawing and I've done it from imagination. I've just drawn a person and it just so happens to coincide with a photograph I've got of someone or someone seen my drawing and said, oh, that looks my looks like my uncle who's passed on. Here's a photograph of him. Um, 
No, what? I've not quite. I've not quite come across that yet. But there yeah. was a gentleman at a demonstration who was a hundred percent skeptic, and he received a drawing of an American serviceman in yeah. the middle of um, in the middle of England, an American serviceman, and um, it was his best friend uh, mm. because he used to work out in America, and he's. Uh, <laughs> you must be psychic, Cal, because I'm, I'm just writing about this in my um, thesis <laughs> that you know the, the the skeptic. Also, the lady in Dubai, she wasn't projecting. I'd not met her. She wasn't project, projecting an image of anything. I don't, or, or I believe that to be so. Yeah. So there are lots of layers to this, um, lots of levels. Would you believe that there is a certain percentage that could just be coincidence, whereas you've examined other people's artwork or even some of your own and said, no, that's definitely got to be something significant there, where the other ones you're just looking at general connections between what's been drawn and you didn't get many feelings, you just kind of went with the flow and it so happens to coincide with the photo. Do you believe there is a percentage between coincidence and a difference between those and ones that could be unique, or do you believe that maybe all of them might have meaning? I believe it's all good. Mm. Yeah. I was actually told an interesting story in talking about how spirits influence us and, you know, you and your your, your painting, but uh, I understand that I believe Chopin, uh, whose brain are hot as in a bottle of cognac, by the way, uh, he was... A work, a, a work was discovered uh, that had been lost, but it was told by a spirit. And then the the, the work itself was supposedly produced by, uh, I believe it was, oh, God, I forget the names offhand. I should have studied. I didn't know I was going to use this one. Uh, but there was two composers who actually were dead that composed this for this third composer. So it's interesting how spirits sometimes work through um, through humans, uh, through live people. I mean, I think that that's really the cool thing. Anyway, yeah, I'm not going to believe this, but we have been listening to uh, Ann Davies, uh, who's a spirit artist, and we've run out of time. So, Ann, once again, give you a website, your book, and all that lovely stuff. Thank you. Website, Ann. Oh, www dot Anne without an e Davis with an e hyphen Art of Spirit dot co dot uk and thank you all for listening. Thank you, and I definitely want to get in touch with you. We're going to try that experiment, and also Cal Cooper uh, phone calls from the dead. Catch it on uh, Amazon UK. So yeah, till then, good night and God bless everyone. From ghoulies to ghosties, long lickety beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us 